Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If. Only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Exurga Deus disibentur inimici eius, et fugianceo derunteum a face eius. Let God arise, and let his enemies be scattered, and let all those who hate him flee from before his face. This is Caleb the Mechanic with Radio Free Catholic. Let's get started with a prayer. In nomine Patris et Filii et Spiritus Sancti. Amen. Sancta Michael Arcangela, defende nos in proelio. Contra nequitiam et insidias diabli est opraesidium. Imperatili Deus supplegis de precamur, tuque princeps militae calestis, satra maliosque spiritus malignos, quod perditionem animarum, pervegantur in mundo divina virtute, in infernum de trude. Amen. Cor Iesus agratissimum miserere nobis, mater dolorosa, ora pro nobis, speculum justitiae, ora pro nobis, beatis carolus de domo Austriae, ora pro nobis. Domine ostende facem tuum et salvi erimus, Ave Maria Purissima, Immaculata Conceptio est. In nomine Patris et Filii et Spiritus Sancti. Amen. <clears throat> We're going to start with a quick news story. I'm going to try and get that part wrapped up. And then um, I had a, uh, I was a guest on, on the Apocastasis Institute uh, podcast. And... There were some interesting topics discussed, and I want to kind of cover a lot of what was going on there, <clears throat> not so much in the topics that we were talking about, but in some of the things that just sort of bubbled up to the surface during our conversation. Before we get into that one, which is by far the more important part of the episode, I just wanted to point out that Netflix is seeing four felony charges by the Texas uh, district, uh, a Texas district attorney. Now, this is the district attorney in Tyler, Texas. Those of you who have been longtime Catholics know that one of our favorite bishops, in all honesty, although I wish he would do more, one of our favorite bishops, Bishop Joseph Strickland of Tyler, Texas, this happens to be right in his backyard. And so this is a very, very positive development from what seems to be um, a, a sort of surprisingly Catholic location where, you know, that, that pro-life, pro-family, pro-the-innocence-of-children sort of thing kind of seems to flow. Now, 
I've had criticisms for for Bishop Strickland uh, because I do believe that when you're on social media saying one thing and then you're in your diocese doing something slightly different, um, it it doesn't it doesn't lend itself particularly well. And I say slightly different. I don't. I'm not in his diocese. I can't speak for his priests. I can only speak to what I hear kind of bubbling up out of there. And it doesn't look like Bishop Strickland is as um, iron-spined as he probably could be. But, to his credit, I do know that he was one of the dissenting bishops when the USCCB utterly failed to protect the Eucharist from sacrilegious reception by pro-abort, pro-Satan, supposedly Catholic politicians. <clears throat> so I don't know if this... I don't know what fully to make of this as regard, with regards to Bishop Strickland and the Diocese of Tyler. <coughs> but this does, in fact, bode well. Now, they're looking at, what is it, four felony charges for... Child, basically child porn, the production and dissemination of child pornography. Uh, Netflix appealed to federal authorities trying to get the feds to stop this prosecution. The feds said, hey guys, this is out of our hands. You made this bed, you're probably just going to have to lie in it because, um, well, let's face it, you're not going to have a whole lot of America coming to the defense of Netflix for sexualizing 11-year-old girls. And they could say it was a critique and this, that, and the other. They could say whatever they want. The thing is, is that notably missing from their descriptions of this movie, by the way, for those of you who don't know the movie in question, is, of course, Cuties, <clears throat> that abomination that came out from a French director who herself should probably be hauled into prison. Um, but they tried to make the claim that it's a critique of the sexualization of, of, of girls or whatever. Except that's absent from any description of what the movie is about. It talks about a young Sen Senegalese girl who joins a dance troupe. And that's basically it. You know, they don't talk about how the, you know, the, the dangers of sexualizing minors or whatever. They don't talk about any of that. The establishment left has come out in defense of this thing. Of course, you know, they would. Duh. They're part of the cathedral, and for, <laughs> and for all of the and for all of the criticisms lobbed at QAnon, their basic thesis still remains true: that the world is run by a cabal of globalist elites, who are by their very nature satanic, and by their very nature pedophilic and child destroying. So, I don't know what to tell you on that one. Like the the thesis still holds true, and it'll hold true for Netflix who decided they wanted to step wrong with this one. And we all remember the weeks and weeks and weeks where the top two shows promoted by Netflix was Cuties and Lucifer. Thereby, you know, sort of confirming the quote-unquote conspiracy theory. So, you know. Congratulations to Texas, you have at least one district attorney who's willing to do the dirty work of trying to get some of this scum out of the public square. And by scum, I don't necessarily, I don't know what's going to actually happen to the people who produced it or the people who distributed it. 
And ultimately, I'm, I mean, that's not my concern. My concern is actually getting this trash out of the public square in the first place. And not coming up with some lame excuse as to why it's still there. So bravo. For those of you who are so inclined, which I gotta be honest with you, if I know my audience, is pretty much everybody listening to my voice. Pray for the success of this prosecution and pray that it will pay dividends in the form of other agencies deciding to maybe step back before they go that far over the line or had they gotten away with it further. Our Lady of Fatima, pray for us. Our Lady of America, pray for us. Now, the discussion that I had with Ooh, yeah, I'm going to go ahead and take a second to pause right there uh, because those of you who will notice that there's a beginning to, uh, uh, there's going to be ads vis- or audible um, from here on out. I've gotten the uh, permissions and all that other stuff. So you're going to start noticing ads. What I would like you to do is, I mean, aside from the fact that I might accidentally place them in the middle of a sentence, which I really hope that's not going to be the case. But if I do accidentally place them in the middle of a sentence, I would ask for your patience because this thing is supposed to tell me where the silent spots are and I do tend to go silent quite a bit. Um, but more importantly, I would like you to contact me, Caleb at Radio Free Catholic, or yeah, Caleb at RadioFreeCatholic.com if the ads are inappropriate. I don't know... Like, I don't get to make the selection as to who it is that they put there, but if they put something that's obviously not right, you know, they they advertise for, say, Planned Parenthood or some psychotic thing like that, I would like you to email me and let me know so that I can contact them and ask them to change who it is that they play for my mid-roll ads. I would like, I mean, obviously, I would like this to generate at least a little bit of money to offset the costs that I'm putting into this. I just had to actually download more software. Um, But I also don't want those advertisements to be against this show's principal set of messages. So if you notice that happens to be the case, obviously I don't spend a lot of time listening to myself except occasionally to go back and make sure I didn't completely sound like a fool. And when I'm listening to my audio, my audio is before it gets uploaded. And so I won't know what kind of advertisements are showing up. So I need you guys to kind of help me. If they put something that's completely off the rails, I mean, they generally categorize everything that's Christian in one spot. So if it is something that's, you know, Christian and it ends up being Protestant, I'm I'm going to talk to them about it, but there's really not a whole lot I can do because most of the stuff should be talking about moral things or humanitarian causes and stuff like that. If they decide to come out and put an advertisement about supporting, you know, do, uh, um, donating to support the, the women, in, the, the affected women and children and all the victims of the war in Ukraine or something like that, obviously I'm not going to go against that because I actually believe that anything we can do to help, we should. Um, But if they put out some craziness about the World Economic Forum or COVID-19, I am actually going to, like, shoot them a message and be like, hey, I don't know if you've reviewed my content at all, but you're contradicting me. Um, And if they say that's going to be part of the par for the course, then I guess I'll just shut down the ads. We'll see. 
But please keep me advised if something comes like like if I get if you if you hear advertisements because like I said I don't have control over it but I can definitely send messages to them and be like hey don't do that um, because there is a particular audience I'm looking for so anything that directly contravenes the morals and dogmas of the church obviously is going to be a red flag I'm not going to get too crazy about it if they start promoting like pure flicks you know pure flicks is largely run by Protestants you don't generally have to worry about bad, like movies, uh, particularly disgusting movies on pure flicks. So I'm not really like, I'm not going to get into that fight. Um, but if they do like one of the, one of the, the new anti-Catholic horror flicks, like they've been doing lately with the nuns, um, let me know because I absolutely will protest against that because that is, uh, it's counterintuitive to have an anti-Catholic commercial on a Catholic podcast. So, like I said, if it's something that's way off the beaten path, use your best judgment. Um, I'll look into it, obviously. But email me at Caleb at RadioFreeCatholic.com, and I'll try and get it fixed. If it ends up not working out, I'll just pull the ads all together. Um, at the same time, too, I'm also opening normal monet- monetization, so I may not have, like, in all honesty, I probably won't have to run ads for too long anyway. I appreciate your patience as I'm feeling this whole thing out. Because that's really what's going on here is, is at the same time that I was moving over from Anchor to Acast, it was also becoming very clear to me that it was time for me to prepare myself to expand. Um, <clears throat> and I can talk about that probably sometime later, but it's not terribly important right now. So like I said, if it's, bad, if it's a really bad, like onerous advertisement, email me. Don't hesitate to e- email me. Just let me know who it was and what it was about. So I can take it up. So I can take it up with the new hosts. All right. Now, on to the bigger fish. We spend a lot of time talking about the World Economic Forum and the technocratic union of globalists and all that other stuff. Um, we don't spend quite as much time talking about that that sort of same influence in the church, and it's mostly because I don't have the ecclesiological expertise to really tackle it. But I've noticed, particularly today, because we were talking, um, uh, because John Coleman and I, uh, John Coleman over at the Apocastasis, oh, oh Lord, why do you have to have some weird freaking name? Let's see if I can get this thing to pull down properly. Apaca, oh yeah. Apocatastasis Institute. There we go. Gracious. I'm going to learn how to say that without actually having to go back and read it. <clears throat> it's a great... <laughs> it's a great name. It just rolls off the tongue. <laughs> um, but he has a... Um, he's got a channels on... He's got a channel on BitChute and all that. Um, and we had a dialogue about dialogue. I can't believe I just used that word. It really, that actually was what it was. The, um, colloquy, if I really need to get away from the word dialogue. Um, but we had a discussion about admiralty law and we were just starting to get it. Like we were just starting to touch on admiralty law in particular, but we were specifically talking about the concept of the nation state and 
what our traditional understanding is from a legal perspective. And it was very, very enlightening because he's actually invent like he's been talking about all of the things going on in the church. He's been been very slowly um, peeling it back to make sure that he's not covering too much ground too fast. The so I would highly recommend um, if you get an opportunity, it's the Apocas it's the Apocatastasis Institute, A P O C A T A S T A S I S. You can find it on BitChute, um, and you'll find in the catalog there will be there will be two interviews here shortly with. And now, mind you, the new one won't post for probably for another couple of days. Uh, but when he's done editing it, he's he will send me the link, and I'll go ahead and let you. And I'll find a way on Twitter probably to share it. So if you're following me on Twitter at Mighty Colibri. Um, you'll be able to get the, you'll be able to get the heads up once I get that email. <clears throat> but you can catch the other show where we were sort of opening up and kind of feeling each other out to ba- basically get an idea of our approaches on the whole thing. And it's going to be basically a series that he and I are doing because we're trying to sort of peel this onion apart to see exactly where everything started going wrong. And I suspect that his assessment that things really started to go off the rails right around the first the now mind you first Vatican Council I suspect that he might be true like like what he's saying there might be accurate and not for the reasons that a lot of people think <clears throat> we talk a lot about the, about how the church has a lot to say about the morals and dogmas of the mystical body of Christ, of the Corpus Mystici Christi. And we talk about how the hierarchy does have the responsibility for sort of governing the church. However, in the 18th and 19th centuries, the church was kind of shifting through a transition where the concept of the nation-state was becoming separated from the concept of peoples. So you go back to the Roman Empire, and the Roman Empire has those famous letter, those famous four letters, SPQR, Senatus et, Senatus et Populusque Romanus. And <clears throat> what that obviously translates into is the Senate and the people of Rome. Now, today, we have a very different understanding of the word people, then would be the legal definition of people. So, and I know I'm going to get this lost. I'm going to try not to, though. The core of the concept is, is that the creator of a thing has the ultimate control of a thing. And since the Senate was the creator of the Roman, like ostensibly the Roman government, the Senate and the people of Rome would be best understood as the people of Rome being the families that provide the senators, those noble lineages from whom all of the original senators from from um, the early Roman Republic branch from. And of course, in order to keep those family lines pure, there was of course obviously a lot of intermarriage and things like that to make sure, you know, that the the Julii and the uh, oh, 
Cassius Brutus, uh, I forgot what his actual last name was, or what his actual family name was. Anyway, but to make sure that the families, um, the noble families had sort of a continuity. So, for example, me, be, me as a centurion in Celtic Iberia, I would not necessarily be in that arena. I would be in that arena eventually if I became, if from going from centurion to commander to regional governor to proconsul or something like that, like as, you know, because it's not, it's not to say that the Roman Republic had absolutely no upward mobility. It's just that all of the upward mobility was reserved for the actual citizenry. <clears throat> now, the actual citizenry, the Roman citizens and the, and the families that made up the, the noble families of the, uh, the noble family, the nobility in the Senate, they would be the ones who are generally referred to as the people, and most of the rest of the plebs, I mean, there's a word for it, for crying out loud, it's called plebs, all of the rest of the plebs were subject to the upper strata in Roman society. So everybody who was wearing the brown and this and that and the other would be subject to those wearing the white togas with the red stripes or the blue stripes or or the red or the red you know whatever you know what I mean the the actual the actual clothing the dalmatics and such that were markings of members of state. So when you were talking about the people of Rome, you were talking specifically about the citizenry, and more importantly, you were talking about the upper the upper nobility. This is important to understand. Because in the, in the sense of the Apostle St. Paul, who was the Roman citizen Saul, his status as a citizen carried very much weight with the military, who were all basically the hired hands the pow- of the powers that be, which would be the Roman state, the, the, consul, the, the consuls and the governors and all that. I hope you're tracking. I really do. If I get you lost, email me um, with a particular question or whatever, because this is a very heady, very heavy sort of topic. The so that's basically what was meant by these by the people of Rome, Senatus et Populusque Romanus. The free citizens were the Roman citizens, the ones of noble blood. Okay, the state of Rome, the the was the assemblage of those families into into the Republic and those families first and foremost and then everybody else as it pleased the Senate. <clears throat> now, later on, you would find that the Senate, uh, the Senate, while still carrying SPQR and Senatus Populusque Romanus, would eventually designate the princeps or princeps, depending on your pronunciation, you know, in the church, in the church would be princeps, in ancient Roman, in ancient Latin, it would be princeps, but the princeps, or the emperor, whom we would know as Caesar. And if C- and once that transition was made, and Caesar became the emblem of the Senate and the emblem of the people, then Caesar could decide, okay, we're going to move the city, we're going to move the, the capital of Rome, and we're going to move the, the seat of governance, and we're going to go from Rome, say, to Constantinople. Although it was called New Rome under Constantine himself, it would eventually be named Constantinople, obviously, because, well, it was his city. <clears throat> and he had the full authority because he was the symbol, the image of the Senate. Fast forward 2,000 years, or just under. 
we would see the dis the dissolution of kingdoms, very various monarchies around uh, across Europe. The slow dissolution of the monarchies in favor of these same sort of republics. At the same time that was happening, the Roman Church is of course looking at that, going, "Well, we are not playing that game because we because we had already we as the Roman Church, and I say we all of us, even though none of us were there." We made the mistake of playing that exact same game. Hence, and this is how you get the papal states. As soon as the as soon as the Supreme Pontiff of as soon as the Supreme Pontiff of the Holy Roman Church became a temporal leader, you begin to see this transition in a very in a very what would be regarded today as a very, very disgusting manner. <clears throat> you see. For the Roman pontiff to be the sovereign over a particular region is a denigration of his authority as the vicar of Christ. So now, in addition to being Christ's vicar on earth, making sure to guard the traditions and the teachings of Christ and Christ to his apostles as handed down by the apostles down through history, now, he also has to deal with the Roman court, which are actually the people who are running the nation that, is, that are the papal states. And I say nation, this is not a... I say nation because I didn't want to say the word state twice. But like I pointed out, the word nation from natio references bloodlines. It's the same way we get the word nativity. Because you're talking about birthright. Nation, nation is about birthright. Nation is about bloodline. Nation is about tribe and family and clan as it was understood throughout antiquity. Nation was not the modern corporate state. As we began to introduce the corporate states, as, because, and you can notice this if, if you go back to like your middle school history or middle school or high school history books, there's a certain period of time where when you look at the borders between these, these empires and all of that, and they're talking about these periods of history, when you look at the map, they just sort of do this amorphous blob, and they don't really cover, like, you don't see borders that follow like the Dnieper River or the Danube or the Rennes or, or any of, or even the Rubicon. Like, you don't see those... You don't see those borders. What you see is you see like a color that sort of amorphously spreads across a section of the map. And this is because people moved and the actual members of that nation, be it empire or otherwise, the fact is the actual members of that nation were a contiguous bloodline. They were one contiguous culture and their location was less important. As you head into the time of, of uh, when, when they start introducing things like admiralty law, what you see is you begin to see nations have borders. They actually have specific defining lines. So it might be across the top of a particular ridge of mountains and down following the flow of a particular river, and that actually sort of cuts it off. And during that time, you see the transition from monarchies and empires and peoples to nation states that are now corporate entities, corporate bodies for the establishment of commercial regulation or regulation of commerce. <clears throat> 
Why is that important? Because it runs approximately in line with the rise of the merchant class across Europe. With the rise of the merchant class, and keep in mind that the earliest the, the earliest movements of this actually start probably as far back, if not further back, than the signing of the Magna Carta under King John of England, where the barons, who were very famously, because they were actually engaged in commerce, found themselves being taxed to death, found their found their 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 lands, their properties, their peoples being being usurped by the king. For his, for, in order to finance his wars, particularly in France, in Brittany. <clears throat> Mind you, he himself was actually engaged in the retaking of his own homeland, because it is the line, King John, King John and, and Richard the Lionheart before him, or at the same time, concurrent with him, I don't know. I don't know how you put that one. But King John was from the line born of Eleanor of Aquitaine. Aquitaine, for those of you who don't know, who don't know the ancient maps or even the modern maps or whatever, and I got to be honest with you, it's been years since I looked at a map. I have, I did, however, notice when I looked it up that Aquitaine was in France. Why is he going to war in France? Well, ostensibly reclaiming his birthright. <clears throat> and that does add a little bit of flavor to the whole thing, because he's the king of France, or he's the king of England born with the birthright of Aquitaine and the barons who were shepherders and farmers and cartwrights and, and shipwrights and things and, and generally merchants, they didn't have the same roots. And so his war in France seemed unjustified. I'm not going to get dive into the rightness or in, into the moral rectitude of this particular conflict because, in all honesty, you can probably infer um, my sympathies based on what I've already said about what's currently going on with Russia and Ukraine. Now, <clears throat> since the time of the Magna Carta, and mind you, at the same time as the Magna Carta, you have the Republic of Florence, the Republic of Milan, the Republic of Venice. Like you have, Ita like you have Italian republics, and and even at the time, the the Holy Roman Empire was ostent. Like you could actually say that the Holy Roman Empire was, in fact, the Holy Roman Republic, because it most certainly wasn't an empire in the traditional form, so much as it was a, a bunch of kings who got together and appointed a leader to guide the empire. But as time progresses and commerce becomes more and more important particularly as we begin to advance towards the time of merchant merchant military forces or mercenaries those borders become more and more important because in France doing business with someone in Prussia with a border right there the king the king of France can impose tariffs and duties and imposts and all those things Likewise, likewise, the uh, um, you know in the in in the particular kingdom within Prussia, they could do the same thing. You know, in the kingdom of Bavaria, likewise, the same thing. Um, and this was a means for them to collect taxes without actually taxing. Well, the way we do today, which is today, the way we do it today, is an abomination. But what ends up happening is, is the kingdom eventually becomes a nation, or excuse me, a nation state. 
for commercial purposes. If you're doing this type of business over here, it's going to cost you this. You're going to have to deal with these people, etc., etc., etc. And in the ride, and as we re, as we rise the mer, as the merchant class rises, we also had that similar thing happen. You might remember the Knights Templar going out to the Holy Land, and then as they're as they're doing all of these things, they're setting up their outposts or you know the early banks. And engaging in financial commerce in order in order to <clears throat> in order to facilitate the travel of people to and from the Holy Land on on pilgrimage. This eventually leads them to be disbanded because they end up handling entirely too much money. And when you're dealing with that much money, as is the want of bankers, and I'm not, again, I'm not particularly applying anything to the Knights Templar, because when it comes to banking history, I only know the broad strokes, and everything I'm telling you right now could very well just be a black myth about the Knights Templar. I've got no idea. I just know that human nature says where there's a lot of money, there's a lot of corruption, and where there's a lot of corruption, you're eventually going to have people who'd feel a certain kind of way about it. And so it matches with what I understand of human nature. And so we're going to carry forward with this in the least black mythy sort of way, like basically imputing the minimum of judgment or condemnation on this. Because there was also a lot of talk of heresy. There was a lot of talk of rebellion and all like there's particularly around the Knights Templar. There was a lot, a way lot of obfuscation and obscurity. <clears throat> now, in the aftermath of that, the church brings the hammer down on usury again and determines that it is unlawful under pain of under under pain of light of of uh latai sententia excommunication. to engage in usury, basically to engage in banking altogether. Which allows for the rise of another merchant class, which is the non-Christian banker. Now, fortunately for Christians, the Saracens and the Moors were not particularly interested in engaging in banking. Unfortunately, there was a group of people who were because this is a because they were a learned people and this was a way to make sure to preserve as much of their intellectual culture as anything else and I'm not even going to name them cuz you know who I'm talking about because they have to happen to be of the same lineage as many of the hedge fund managers and bankers and international investment yahoos today Hey I'm Ryan Reynolds at Mint Mobile we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? 
They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. But as that rises, the definition of nation-state, the definition of what a state is, begins to modify. And by the time you get into the 18th and 19th centuries, the definition actually goes completely topsy-turvy and inverts what we used to know as a nation into what we now know as a nation, where a nation is now just a made-up community of people who decided to get together under what they call a constitution. And lost to the annals of history is the legal fact that the creator of a thing is the sovereign, is the agent, is the authority of said thing. Ergo, today, under the Constitution, we, the people of the United States, in order to form a more perfect union, establish justice, ensure domestic tranquility, provide for the common defense, promote the general welfare. I'm pretty sure most of you don't know the words beyond there. <laughs> carries on and then finishes for ourselves and our posterity do ordain and establish this constitution for the United States of America. And we the people was roughly a body of congressional delegates of I think maybe 50 or 60 or some odd people or whatever. But the federal body of the government was the quote-unquote elected aristocracy of the 13 colonies. They were still aristocracy. At the time of the inception of the United States, it was policy, it was law, that in order to vote you had to own land. So we're literally saying the the elected aristocracy because this was this was the government elected by the landowners who themselves in many cases were also landowners. Now there's a legal carry that a lot of people don't tend to, that that a lot of people don't notice and this can be challenged because I got to be perfectly honest with you. Um, I'm not entirely sure how much I how much I buy into this, but. John's statement in this one is that the federal government 
predominantly actually consists of the 13 original colonies. So when you're talking about the legal right, right to secession, what you're actually talking about is the right to secession based on the 13 original colonies and that the remainder of the, of, the, of the Confederate states at the time did not actually have the legal authority because they were not co-signers of the document. Now, I don't know how true that holds considering in order, in order to become members of the United States, they had to petition the government, which you're asking the presiding authority if you can enter, but you still have to ratify the document once you become a member. Now, I don't know if that makes you an additional signing member, but it does indicate that the 13 original colonies actually constitute the federal government and that the remaining 37 states and the, and the additional seven territories beyond don't actually have the rights of the federal government. Again, I don't know exactly how far I would push this because, quite clearly, you have people like Speaker of the House Nancy Pelosi and people who is the Speaker of the House, but she's not in one of the original colonies. She's in, Cali she's in California, representative of the city, representative in the district that covers San Francisco in the state of California. <clears throat> and she, like all of the rest of the elites, have a tendency to talk about the preservation of our democracy. So they talk about the hallowed halls of our democracy or the sacred halls of our democracy. You heard a lot of that crap come out of their mouths in the aftermath of what they call the January 6th insurrection. <clears throat> now, as to the specifics in the legality, according to the way he puts it, like I said, I don't know where I fall on this. But what I do know is that what started out as a very convincing lie which is to say that there was power to the people. In fact, in practice, that was never the case. George Washington led troops to put down the writ with the whiskey rebellion. You know, John, At oh, I don't want to dive into too much of American history. However, Abraham Lincoln quite clearly disagreed with the ability of say South Carolina and Virginia to secede from the Union. So much so that he fought a civil war over it. But he himself, now here's where it gets kind of funny, he himself being from Illinois, for maybe perhaps didn't understand the nature of the thing and that, and that in particular, Virginia and South Carolina would, or South Carolina as, as a member state of the, as one of the original members. And keep in mind, they were originally the Carolinas. It was not divided into North and South Carolina, I think until after. I don't know for sure. I do know Georgia had a right to secede because they were original. Florida under this supposition does not have the right to secede. Under the same supposition, neither does Texas. How true is that? I don't know. Ultimately, we're dealing with a group of people, those people all the way up at the top, who are not going to take no for an answer from anybody. And here's what I know for absolute certain. Senatus et Populusque Americanus don't include you. The similar concept of the Senate and the people of the United States of America does not include the average American citizen, and in point of fact, was diametrically opposed at its inception 
to a Catholic. So if you are in fact a faithful Catholic, being Novus Ordo, traditionalist, set of a contest, or whatever other flavor, and by extension, I hate to say it to a lesser degree, to our Orthodox separated brethren, it's against you because a rebellion to the sort of the sort that would unseat a monarchy, even an apostate monarchy like the British monarchy. And I know apostasy is a very hard word. I got it. Okay. But there's only so many times I'm going to say heresy. <clears throat> and I know I probably should be more careful with my words, but the fact is, is those Protestants are not our separated brethren. Our separated brethren are the Orthodox. Okay? It, that, the, just go in, period. Period, full stop. Because our separated brethren, if they were Protestant, have been spending the last five to six hundred years doing nothing but trying to find ways to destroy the Catholic Church. And the Orthodox have not. They don't like us. They're not happy with us. They think the Pope is full of it but they've not been trying to destroy Holy Mother Church. So they are actually our separated brethren because we can still act like brothers together. I don't know about the Russian Orthodox Church. It's sort of 50-50, I don't know. Like, I don't really deal with them too much. It's not like the Russian Orthodox Church is pulsing through America. And today, I gotta be honest with you, I would probably pick up for the Russian Orthodox Church if they were, because let's face it, I mean, people are canceling their dinner reservations at the Russian Tea Room because they just hate all things Russia right now. <clears throat> now, <clears throat> if you're Catholic, that means that you never actually had a part. Like, they, like Charles Carroll from Carrollton and Bishop Carroll the first Archbishop of Baltimore. They were the tokens. And like the bishops of today, Bishop Carroll managed to travel with Benjamin Franklin all the way up to French Canada, all the way up to Quebec. And they never talked about religion. And that suited Ben Franklin just fine. And in point of fact, the fact that they did not talk about religion meant that the Bishop of Baltimore did not incur the wrath of one of the most ridiculously popular and morally undisciplined people in the history of the United States of America. And I say one of, because these days, it, I mean, let's face it, it'd be Ben Franklin and Bill Clinton. <clears throat> as far as notoriety, well, Ben Franklin, Bill Clinton, and John F. Kennedy. As, not as to notoriety of their utter lack of moral discipline. <clears throat> now, keeping in mind that it is the rise of the nation state, the corporate body, for commerce that is the backdrop for the first Vatican Council. And this is at the same time that the, that the Vatican is beginning to coalesce into the Papal States, thereby denigrating itself to temporal rule 
which in all honesty, I do kind of believe was a mistake. I mean, the Vatican, Vatican city being its own separate thing, um, stands to reason, but Vatican, let's be real. Vatican city should be Rome. It should like, you should have the Vatican, like what was currently known as Vatican city and then Rome. And that should all actually be one piece. <clears throat> and well, let's be real. It's not like, it's not like Italy could not have done just as well with Milan and Florence and Venice with one of them as the capital. Hey, they could have moved the capital all the way down to Sicily if they wanted to. <clears throat> and I say it would have been better. Again, no condemnation. But with the rise of corporate states, the Vatican and the Supreme Pontiff and this is a succession of very, very amazing, intelligent, pious, and just ridiculously awesome sovereign pontiffs. So we're talking about, I mean, we're talking about Leo the 13th. We're talking, we're talking about Pius the 9th, Pius the 10th, Pius the 11th, Pius the 12th. We're talking about Benedict the 15th. We're talking about Benedict the 14th. Like we're talking about some amazing, some amazing, holy, saintly popes. who were nonetheless affected by the times in trying to govern the church when a completely new lexicon was being created by all of these people who were basically corporatists. And corporatists, not in the really awesome Christian corporate state kind of way, corporatists in the commercial enterprise way. And in so doing, you try to lock it in for the protection of Holy Mother Church. And you run the risk when you're trying when you're running defense, you run the risk of running a defense that is entirely too defensive, a little too reactionary, a little bit over the top. And you get the oath of and you get the oath against modernism. You get Rerum Novarum, you get some magnificent teachings that nonetheless denigrate the authority of the church in the world because we get too focused on the world. What do I mean? The Roman Empire was the most powerful empire ever to walk the, in history up until today. And it was taken out and subsumed and replaced by the Roman Catholic Church, by the universal church. Ask yourself, how many times did the early Christians raise a sword? Exactly. It was necessary for the Reconquista because, you know, you do actually, like, I mean, you kind of have to go out that way because, well... I'm not going to get too much into the religiosity of the, the so-called religiosity of the Moors and the Saracens. However, they're more than happy to make martyrs all day long, and it does not phase them because that's because they don't even really understand what a martyr is. I mean, you look at their you look at the definition of a martyr in that in that culture today, and it does not look anything like the martyrs in ancient Rome. But we didn't 
fire a shot. We didn't sling an arrow. We didn't even throw a stone. We maybe had some harsh words. I think that's about as far as we ever went. And people were very careful not to have harsh words with their fellow Romans. Why? Because many of the early Christians were themselves fully brought up in Senatus Epopoluske Romanus. They understood, they knew what it was. They understood Roman civics. And they knew how best to fight it. And the best way they fought it was instead of using their Roman given name, they used their baptismal name. We today would probably use our confirmation names. And we would refuse to pinch incense or to do commerce in the same manner that the state does today. Because the state has done everything that it can to assume the throne of the Most High God. And that's what they did. And they were cut out of society, and they were persecuted, and they were beaten, and they were whipped, and they were tortured, and they were tormented, and they were thrown to lions and put in the Colosseum, and nailed to crosses, and burned alive, and decapitated, and boiled in oil, and any number of ways to kill, thereby providing miraculous stories. I mean, just amazing stories, like St. Lawrence. St. Lawrence is still my favorite. You can turn me over now, I'm done. But that was the way we fought. And by the way, that was the way he fought. That was his final blow. After having, after having, quote unquote, swindled Roman authorities by taking all of, by taking all of the sacred vessels of the church and mailing them off to the four corners of the church and then gathering together the poor and declaring the poor to be the treasure of the church. Because, of course, the poor are the tre- blessed are the poor. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for they shall be comforted. Of course they would be. Our Lord said so. And, of course, they would be the more important, because our Lord said so. That the greatest among you would be servant to the least. These are inherent. These, you know, they're inherent in the teachings and the understanding of the church. There are things also that due to our modern understanding of everything, we don't really fully comprehend today. So here we are in the 21st century looking at a behemoth, a leviathan, a goliath of a state system that has decided that it wants to occupy the throne of the Most High God yet again. Only this time, They're not throwing us to lions. They're not putting us in coliseums. They're not burning us at the stake. They're not boiling us in oil. They're not stoning us to death. They're not beating us, whipping us, scourging us. And to be sure, I mean, when they arrest us, I mean, don't get me wrong, they have been arresting us. But many of us haven't exactly been right about our approach to things. And so we don't, and because, because our why doesn't match our how, Many, many of the people who are in prison today, many of the people who are suffering persecution from the state, from their states today, do not qualify as martyrs because the sacrifice wasn't for Christ. The sacrifice was for something called liberty. The almost 
undisputed goddess of these United States of America. But really just another demon, you know, a, a, a French carving of Satan. Pretending that he's broken free from his chains. Pretending that he is the light, well actually no, pretending that he is still the light bearer and that he holds the book of the law. Lady Liberty is an ape of Holy Mother Church. And it shows because she has been able to make to take dominion over the over these United States and indeed over the whole world. Or near enough to it if it wasn't for pushback from Vladimir Putin. Because make no mistake, we already established that Ukraine was a vassal state. And we already established in previous podcasts that NATO was a series of vassal states. They march under a different flag. They don't necessarily call themselves vassal states to the United States of America. But we pay for all the defense, and we're the ones who go to war, and we're the ones who supply the Pax Americana. We are the empire. And so, that diabolical heifer, whom I used to look at with such adoration is effectively the supreme liar goddess of Earth. And there's a part of me, actually, there's... Because I'm a native New Yorker. I was born in the Empire State. I was born in the Empire City. That statue was always in my, quote-unquote, front yard. So it pains me to no end to be saying these words. However, they are still true. And I think maybe that's the biggest rub. But that liar goddess has taken dominion over the whole world, proclaiming that she has broken the chains and that she carries forth the book of the law and that she is the one who holds up the light for all to see. And we know who that actually is. So basically what happens at this point is that if you want to destroy the empire, then we destroy the empire the same way we did before. Rather than as, uh, as John Coleman recommended or suggested that the pontiffs were doing, which is try to steer the ship, the bark of St. Peter, the, the ark, as it were, to get the right angle so as to not be capsized by the tidal wave, we should actually be preparing ourselves like yeast, and instead of looking at that tidal wave as a tidal wave of ocean or water, we should be looking at that tidal wave as a tidal wave of dough, of flour. And we should be, instead of worrying about whether or not the ark will capsize, we should be flinging ourselves into the dough like yeast so that we can leaven the whole loaf. Because here's the other rub, and I've said this in another podcast. I've said this in several other podcasts as, as point of fact. Our Lord is asleep on the boat. It doesn't matter how big the waves. It doesn't matter how big the storm. He's not going to let it sink. O ye of little faith. 
So all we have to be is Catholic. We make the prudential judgments as to how much of this so-called incense that we're going to end up casting before this Caesar in the form, mind you, in the form of participating in whatever ridiculous system these people have cooked up for us. But ultimately, whether or not we participate with the commerce side, and here's the thing, the commerce side is going to be at least somewhat necessary for you to, for you to fulfill your duties as a husband and a father. So there are going to be some conflicting issues. You can't just rebel against the whole thing unless we manage to put together a means of supporting each other. Which means that we need to begin to start thinking about ways to support each other, both locally and over large distances. Because, lest we forget, A, there are going to be plenty of people who are looking at this as the beast system. And to be sure it is. But there are going to be plenty of people who are not Catholic, who are looking at this as the beast system, and it is going to be incumbent upon us as Catholics to lead the world. We are priests, we are prophets, we are kings. Amidst the uninitiated globally. We are not priests and bishops canonically. But we are a kingdom of priests, prophets, and kings. So it is going to be incumbent upon us who have the clear vision, or at least more clear vision. Let's be real, we're human, none of us are going to be perfect. But it's going to be incumbent upon us who have the most clear vision. In the land of the blind, the one-eyed man is king. To guide and help put together these parallel systems so that we don't have to participate in the grand in the grand scheme of these tech of this technocratic global union and so we're going to have to coordinate one with another across the country across the world from country to country from state to state speaking of course in the in the case of the united states but from state to state and country to country helping guide our fallen away cousins towards the establishment of a safety net. Someplace, a cave up in the mountains. A refuge for all of the people who are going to be fleeing from this ugly, demonic system this plague of a system. And we should be anticipating the soft purge, the shutting down of our accounts, our social media accounts, and even our checking accounts, our savings accounts. We should be planning for this eventuality because we know that their system cannot accept even one dissenting voice. And they certainly can't accept hundreds of thousands scattered out across the world creating a global black market of barter and trade. And they're not going to be able to get us all. But, as we reject more and more of their systems, according to our state and status, according to what we can, according to our prudential judgments, 
because there are going to be people who are both integrated in this system as well as fomenting the parallel system. And we have to understand that that's going to be a thing. Just in the same way that there were Roman officials in the time of the early church who were simultaneously serving Caesar loyally, but also being very Catholic. Because it is not either or for Catholics. It is both and. We do what we can. We participate as we can, as is morally allowable. And for that which is immoral, we don't. And when they come, because they will, we accept our martyrdom in whatever form it comes. And I cannot believe that a bloody-minded, war-fighting man like me just said those words. And I meant them. Because the Vendée lost. And the Cristeros lost. But the early Christians won. They won by leavening the, ble- the, by leavening the bread with their own blood. I have nothing but reverence for the Vendée, and I have nothing but reverence for the Cristeros. But you want to take down the empire? You want to take out the evil empire? You want to take out this neo-pagan society? You don't do it with force of arms. You do it with commitment to live out your faith. To be religious in the perfect sense of the word, which is to say, to fulfill what your intellect tells you to be true, what your will has conformed itself to, and to fulfill those obligations to the best of your ability. And wherever your failings are, leave that for God's grace. But you try and you fight But you fight your flesh. You fight your pension to try and defend your reputation in a time where they're going to come after your reputation. And you'd fight not to preserve your life, but to preserve your soul and the souls of your children and their children. And in so doing, perhaps you preserve the souls of a few of these persecutors at the same time. You want to win this fight? That's how you win. Almsgiving, fasting, prayer, penitence, admonishing uh, admonishing the sinner. The corporal works and the spiritual works of mercy. To their fullness, you do not you do not neglect the spiritual Because by far, the spiritual works of mercy are the hardest. Because they're the easiest to neglect. You come home from work, you're tired, you don't necessarily want to get down on your knees and pray the rosary. Well, that's when you need to pray. You're at work, and that person who gets on your last nerve is getting on your last nerve. And you bite your tongue. 
and you do not let venom or wickedness flow from it. Even if it means that you lose some reputation, even if it means that you lose some prestige, even if it means that you allow him or her to calumniate you, to detract, or whatever, and then you forgive them, and you pray for them, and if it doesn't feel like you mean it, then you pray for God to give you the grace to mean it. Be the salt, the light, and the leaven. That's how we win. You want to see the globalists fail? That's how we make them fail. Because what are they offering? They're offering mere pleasure. It's not even good pleasure. It's disgusting. It's obviously disgusting. It's disgusting in the media. It's di- I mean, come on, man. These are the people who are promoting movies like Cuties for crying out loud. It's disgusting. It's overweight, purple-haired, green-haired, pierced, tattooed, ugly people who do nothing but hate, who do nothing but kill, who can't even think for themselves, who literally came out and said, my body, my choice, and then the vaccines came out and they hated the argument, my body, my choice. And they wanted to arrest you. And they wanted to punish you. And they wanted to cut you out from society. And in many cases, they wanted to kill you. And then they're the ones who historically were always anti-war, now coming out full force. Russia's the devil, Putin, blah! The same people who said Bush lied and people died, talking about getting us into a war in Iraq, are now all about this war for some reason. They're all about destabilizing and unseating Vladimir Putin, who were talking originally about no regime change, but are so laser focused on Ukraine that they can't see what's going on in Syria, that they can't see what's going on in Yemen, that they can't see the exact same things happening again and again and again. All the while, they're painting their decrepit-looking bodies and going out and marching in pride parades. Talking about following the science and never following the data. That's all they have to offer. Nonsense. And more nonsense. Because that's what happens when you allow yourself to be susceptible to lies. It's what happens when you let the devil lie to you. And you pursue not what's good, but what's pleasing. And they've eventually become so very blind. All we have to do is to win is to see and follow our Lord. That's it. That's it. And you don't need the Supreme Pontiff on board. 
Because even the Supreme Pontiff has abandoned his principal responsibility, which is guiding the moral and spiritual life of the church, leading all souls to salvation. He's completely abandoned that post, and he has put himself fully in with this human fraternity nonsense. And that's going to get you persecuted more. Because your Pope is doing it, how come you're not doing it? It's a perfect time. Oh, gracious Lord in heaven, thank you for this time. Because this is the perfect time. There has never been a better time for Christian martyrdom. Because you don't even actually have to shed your blood. You can suffer for years under, white, under the white crown of martyrdom. As you, suffer for, as you suffer persecution. And maybe you gain the red crown. But this is a time for confessors. And I honestly believe, I truly believe, is one of the reasons why I have always felt a, a call to the word, to the title of confessor, is because this is that time where there can be more confessors of the church, more confessors of Christ, more confessors of the Blessed Mother, more confessors to Christianity and to God and to the kingdom of heaven than have ever been in the history of mankind. And we're already doing it in many places around the world. Many of the places where Christians are receiving their red crown of martyrdom, they've also preceded it with a white crown. And we may not get that opportunity. And i got to be honest, I'm not really rushing to it. I'd prefer it to going through white martyrdom, in all honesty. It'd be quicker. <laughs> but if I have to wear the white crown before I'm awarded the red, you'll get no complaint from me. I just hope I'm up to the task. I pray that God gives me the grace to be up to the task. Because I will gladly, gladly pay that price. I will gladly pay whatever price it is to get me into heaven. And if I could be Caleb the Confessor, Caleb the Mechanic, the Confessor of the Holy Face, I mean, there would be more to that, but that's like the... I'm okay with that. I'm more than okay with that. I'm, I would be elated by that. And since I know the church isn't going to, you know, they're not going to be the ones to canonize me, I at least get to be canonized by the one who, like, no joke, assuming I make it, I get to be canonized by the one who counts most. The one who would look at me and say, well done, my good and faithful servant. Hopefully about a split second after I get a big old hug from mom, the blessed mother, our mother of sorrows, our mirror of justice. It seems like a big thing. I mean, this whole world seems to be going crazy, doesn't it? But we have no business being scared. These people can't kill us. Not in the way that counts. Yeah, they can take our body. Yeah, they can take our food. They can close our bank accounts. They can take away my voice. 
And I gotta be honest with you, I'm not entirely sure they shouldn't take away my voice because I know that keeping quiet would be a perfect penance for someone like me who talks for an hour and 15 minutes about topics like this. But nothing they can do can get in the way. Nothing they can do can get between us and Christ, between us and the cross. The only thing they can do by their actions is to push the cross onto our shoulders, to force us to carry it. It's really not a big punishment. It's really not a big torture. Not in the grand scheme, not when, not when you're trying to make it to heaven. So, of course, pray for your nation. Of course, pray for your politicians that their souls be converted. Of course, pray for the Supreme Pontiff that he pulls his head out of his tuchus and is converted and becomes the vicar of Christ like he belongs. But more than all of that, pray for the grace to run the race. Pray for the grace of fortitude, of final penitence. Pray for the grace to have your feet shod with the preparedness of the gospel of peace that comes from the gospel of peace. So that in that day, having done all, standing against all of the fiery darts of the evil one, you, and having done that, to stand. And while you're at it, pray for us in Catholic social media, that as long as these people don't interrupt us, we don't make total and utter, utter fools of ourselves by leading you astray. By teaching something against the faith. And pray that we too will have the grace of final penitence. And the capacity, by the grace of God, to stand in that last day. This is Caleb the Mechanic with Radio Free Catholic. May God bless you and the Virgin protect you. In nomine Patris et Filii et Spiritus Sancti. Amen. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.